The title for today's message is Built to Last. Built to Last. And our main passage today is going to be Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. And the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that marriage is meant to represent God's covenant love and faithfulness to us. Marriage is meant to represent God's covenant love and faithfulness to us. In the winter of 2016, when I first, it it was that time that I first entered the world of appliances and appliance parts. I had gotten this office job at Stover, Evie, and Jackson Appliances in Corvallis, Oregon, and I was instantly thrust into this completely new part of the world that I never quite knew existed before. At Stover, Evie, and Jackson, their catchphrase on all their signage was that they service what they sell, which means that along with selling all of the major appliances from most of the major brands in the United States and in the industry, they had a team of service technicians who would go out and service or repair the appliance units that they had sold. And so I was the one, the lucky chosen one, who got to field all those calls and take notes from customers who had bought their appliances with us. And so I would take down the notes so that the technicians would have an idea of whatever might be going on with that certain unit. And so I was hired on around December. So you can imagine how there were a lot of uh, ovens that needed new bake elements. And there were, uh, there were lots of refrigerators, either from vacations or whatnot, that uh, stopped working and uh, started thawing. And so uh, I got to deal with all, I was the frontline worker <laughs> in that season. Anyway, those two and a half months of working there, it really completely changed the way I look and at and see the world in my life. When, and so here's some considerations. When it comes to appliances, there are at least four main questions that determine the life of any given appliance. You know, how durable is it? Number one, how durable is it? Number two, how much will it cost to fix? You know that uh, more expensive appliances usually cost more to repair because the parts are more expensive. For example, uh, you know, are parts still available? Do they even make those parts? Do, doesn't, has an aftermarket company taken up that mantle of that certain part to try to make that part again? Are they available? And number four, would a new appliance fit? in that space in your house. Because let's just say you have a house that came with some kind of old style range. Um, I know about the old farmhouse style ranges. I've looked up the burners for those. You can't get them anymore. They were really thick, the the thick farmhouse style burners. Um, No aftermarket company makes them anymore. Um, At least not here in the in the U.S. where we can get parts. And so let's say you had that stove and that part of your stove went out. You'd either be looking at how to try to rig it up against all conventional wisdom, or you'd have to deal without 
without that part, or you'd be looking at quite possibly having to replace your range. And wall ovens are even worse because, friends, they just don't make them the same size that they used to. And so let's say your oven seal goes out or your bake element or even your clock that was a timer also. If that goes out, you are out of luck and you are on your way potentially to a full-on kitchen remodel. Now, when it comes to washers and dryers, there is a brand that has stood the test of time, or at least their legacy has stood the test of time. They used to have this catchphrase, built to last, which is where I, I get this title for today's sermon, built to last. Maytag washing machines set the standard for all other brands because of their design and durability. So I learned at Stover and later on when I was working at WL May Appliance Parts Distributor that if you have an old machine, especially a Maytag, if you can find parts for it and you can afford the time or the money to fix it, it's always better to repair than to buy new. And the reason for that is that companies uh, you know, they're just not making machines like they used to. They design them for great innovation, maybe to make your life easier. But anymore, most appliances, even Maytag, if they're being honest, are only really built to last three to five years before you have some kind of major repair crisis occur. Because for those companies, it's more, uh, it makes them more money for you to buy a newer machine than to just repair the older machines. But I didn't come to you today to talk to you about just appliances. Although, real talk, I could talk to you for days about all my different things I've learned <laughs> about uh, the world of appliances and appliance parts. But I didn't come to talk about just appliances. But just as appliances have touched every part of our lives, whether we realize it or not, I know that the topic for today that Jesus brings up in the passage we're going to cover, it's touched every single one of us in this room. Divorce is something that we all face. Whether it's something that we've done has been done to us or we're living in the fallout of marriages that have fallen apart. <clears throat> the landscape of our families have in some way been affected by divorce. So while appliances may serve as a great illustration as objects that used to be built to last, but not so much anymore, Marriage is made up of people, and the Bible teaches us that people were built to last. And so I would submit to you today that marriage was something that from the beginning was built to last. Because marriage is meant to represent God's covenant love and faithfulness to us. Now, if that is the claim that we find in Scripture, and I believe it is, then what can we learn about divorce in light of that idea and what can we do to apply that idea to our lives? Let's 
find out together, shall we? Today, we're continuing on in our series, looking at Jesus' most famous teaching in the Bible. It's one that he gave to his disciples on the side of a mountain by the Sea of Galilee, called famously the Sermon on the Mount. And we're Today we're calling our series The Kingdom Manifesto because that's overall the topic of what he's talking about. We get to see here in Jesus' teaching that he's calling our attention through his teaching to the radical norms and values that make up the culture of God's kingdom. Now, inside of that teaching, there's a group of six case study examples of laws or practices that are found in the canon of the Hebrew Bible. And rather than dismiss them as antiquated or out of touch, Jesus calls his disciples to an even higher view of what God prescribed for his people in the Bible. The first case dealt with anger and reconciliation. We learned how right relationships require reconciliation and how through Jesus' teaching we're called to live from the place of sacrifice and grace in order to settle our conflicts. A couple of weeks ago we learned that our lives, uh, the, the second case study, that our lives are redeemed or ruined in the heart through how we care for and guard our hearts against committing adultery. Jesus elevates the importance of what goes on inside of our hearts and minds on par with what we physically do with our physical bodies. And so as a continuation of that topic of adultery and by extension faithfulness in marriage, Jesus cites a practice that was prescribed to the people of Israel not as a command, but as a way to mediate the reality of divorce among the people. And that, pres- that prescription or that, that way of how to handle things is found in Deuteronomy 24. But before we go there, let's start by going all the way back to the beginning to see what God had to say about the institution of marriage. It's found in Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman 
and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And catch this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So from the beginning, marriage was meant to represent God's covenant love and faithfulness to us. It was built to last. Marriage is the deepest place of intimacy that we can experience as human beings, where husband and wife become not just two separate individuals, but one flesh, one unit united together as one. Author C.S. Lewis had this to say about the love that's experienced in marriage. He wrote, quote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. This kind of shared, vulnerable, intimate love is the foundation that marriage is built on. It's so much more than just a feeling. It's so much more than just a preference about, uh, about a person or chemistry with that person. This kind of love does something inside of us that points us back to the heart and passion of our Creator who the Bible characterizes by the word love. Listen to these words by the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 7 through 8. John writing to the church says, Beloved, that's his name for the church, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let's also turn to uh, Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. This, again, is the most uh, quoted passage in the Bible, by the Bible, because it's here that God declared to Moses his name, and with it, all the characteristics of how does God describe himself? How does, uh, you know, who does God think he is, so to speak? You know, what is God like? What is his character? And so we get a glimpse of that here. The Lord, pause. The Lord here is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the name, the personal name of God. It's a name that in light of everything that God had done with the people of Israel, we know that God is a, a covenant God. He is a covenant making and covenant-keeping God. That means he makes a promise to somebody or some people, and then he follows 
through with it. He is faithful to his promise. So the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Some translations there say covenant love. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And so if God is love, like John claimed, and the purest truth about love comes from him, like John also claimed, and how in God's own words he describes himself as being someone who is filled with that steadfast covenant, take-it-to-the-bank kind of faithful love, that covenant love and faithfulness, then as people made in God's image, re presenting him to each other and to the world when man and woman come together in a marriage covenant we are meant to become walking testimonies of god's covenant love and faithfulness built to last built to testify to the glory and the good that god imagined for marriage in the first place but sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's rebellion, committed in the garden. And with it, it brought all kinds of brokenness and selfish behavior that we see in our world today that actually wreaks the havoc on marriages that we see that results oftentimes in divorce. And so let's take a moment and talk about this idea of covenant. What is it? A covenant is an agreement between two parties. At least in Scripture, most of the time it's just two parties where two people or two groups have come together to form an agreement about a certain thing. You could make a covenant about anything, um, but then there are certain covenants that kind of rise, uh, rise above it all and are kind of this unique, special look at uh, a covenant. And so a covenant is an agreement. It's a promise. It's saying... I will do this. The other person says, I will do this. There's usually some kind of terms or conditions to the covenant saying, if you don't do this, and if I don't do this, or if I don't do this, this will happen. If you don't do this, this will happen. And then usually at some point, if the covenant is broken, then the covenant's broken. It, it's null and void that it's, it's thrown out at that point. And so with a covenant instituted by God in marriage between a man and a woman, for some reason, two people at some point decide that they are going to partner in life, that they are fit, made fit for each other, right? And so they want to become united together in one flesh, and so they choose that path of marriage, and oftentimes... It's in that pure innocence that we don't see the path ahead. And oftentimes in our society, we see that there are people that end up at a place that we call divorce. And so God saw 
our situation. And so he described a process for us in the Old Testament law for how to navigate through the brokenness that can occur in marriage when things don't go as planned. And you're left with some kind of shattered version of that original picture of what God intended marriage to be in the beginning. So to do that, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 24, uh, verses 1 through 4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of, of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has already been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. In this passage, there's a few things we need to note. Number one, divorce is not commanded in God's law. So unlike what we see in places like the Ten Commandments where it's like you shall not covet or you shall not, uh, you, or, or you shall keep the, the Sabbath and keep it holy or uh, you shall not make yourself any kind of graven image, you shall not commit adultery, steal, kill, and, and the other ones I haven't mentioned yet, that level of you shall do this or you shall not do this, we don't see that here in this description. We don't see that in the commands that we just read about the practice of divorce because it's not a requirement. You don't have to do it. Divorce isn't something you have to do, but divorce is something that can and will happen in a world stained and broken by sin. And so here in Deuteronomy 24, God provides us with some insight into how people can work through the mess. And how to move on with the scars and the disappointments and the hurt and the pain that wasn't God's original good for us in the first place. Another detail we get from Deuteronomy 24 is that it's unclear in this certain passage for what it means when uh, the woman finds no favor in the husband's eyes and because he's found some indecency. We don't uh, that's unclear what that phrase means, some indecency. In the context of Deuteronomy, if we were to uh, jump back a chapter to Deuteronomy 23, 13 through 30, we would find one primary example of indecency is what's called sexual immorality. And even there in, in chapter 23, the context of, is that this husband makes an accusation assuming unfaithfulness has taken place. But it's not unfaithfulness that takes place during the marriage. It's unfaithfulness that has taken place before. Where the woman has not kept herself for marriage. And so 
uh, the truth is there, and, and all throughout the Bible, I believe that God is driving home the point, the importance of the place of intimacy that's found in marriage whether it's something that happens before the union or maybe after the union while you're you're existing in marriage sexual immorality is a watershed issue and not many relationships survive that kind of a moment which is why god allows for divorce and gave his people certain rules on how to deal with it the third observation I have is that in this practice of serving a spouse with a certificate of divorce, we see a glimpse of redemption here, believe it or not. This piece of paper redeemed the woman's reputation from the scandal of divorce by giving her a, a document, a, a card, a, 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 a sign that basically said that she gets to have a place in the community and it gives her an opportunity to get married again because in the ancient world marriage established a woman's provision for her socioeconomic needs it also set up very clear boundaries we see in deuteronomy 24 clear boundaries and expectations that were meant to protect the woman so that the husband couldn't just flippantly choose divorce and then go back on that decision and try to remarry her again after just exposing her to some kind of public disgrace right and here's the point that i see the place of intimacy in marriage is so sacred as far as god is concerned that he won't tolerate men dishonoring women in this way god is for men and he is for women and god is for marriage because marriage is meant to represent god's covenant love and faithfulness to us and the call of the bible is to treat marriages with the respect that they deserve and should we come to that crossroad of divorce God's good for us is to handle it in a way that honors our Creator and our spouses who are equally made in His image. Now, having said all of this, divorce has always been a complicated issue, and that was even true in Jesus' day. It's not like 2,000 years ago when life was oh so much more simple right that somehow this issue was made even easier no it's always been a complicated issue and so the people hearing the words of jesus about god's kingdom there on the mountain would have been grappling with how to apply that to their lives how what does it mean it's great that the kingdom of God is near and that it's coming and that it means all these things for, for us. But then what does it mean for the kingdom of God to come into my life when my life is a mess? Whether by my doing or somebody else's doing and I'm living in the fallout. What does it mean for the kingdom of God to come into my situation 
for God to step into my situation and bring rescue. What does it mean? What does it mean for his kingdom to have authority and rule and reign in my life? What does it mean in a situation like divorce, which wasn't a part of God's original plan for marriage? Let's find out. Let's turn to Matthew 5, verses 31 through 32. Jesus, speaking to his his disciples, said, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Here Jesus is speaking right into an intense cultural debate at the time. You can imagine kind of the tenor of a, a, uh, an intense debate. We have them all of the time in our country. I don't need to necessarily name the few that immediately come to mind, but we, we find that there's great disagreement, right? And this practice of issuing the certificate of divorce was a hot button issue to try to press and jesus just goes boop here we go let's talk about it i'm stepping right into this conversation let's talk about it and often with these kinds of issues right people rally behind two schools of thought usually it boils down to at least uh, at least two maybe more but usually two schools of thought those who followed the teachings of a rabbi named Hillel said for divorce that it was permissible for a husband to divorce his wife for any reason at all. And those who followed the teaching of a rabbi named Shammai said that divorce was permissible only for a major offense like sexual immorality now for halal the any reason could range from something as small and trivial as burning toast in the morning to something as big as a wife being barren and not being able to produce children or or adultery right some kind of big issue but it could be for anything on that broad spectrum now it could also for for shemai the only valid case for divorce was adultery and the thing that the two schools of thought had in common was that under Jewish law at the time, divorce was required for adultery. And that was the same for the Roman law as well. And so for most of the known world for us here in uh, the West and the Mideast, we had this practice that if adultery took place, then divorce was required. You can imagine, though, what may have been more popular for the men in Jesus' 
day. And doesn't that all sound a bit familiar? The only difference for us today is that we no longer contest it. We just accept that divorce happens, that it can be for any and every reason that you could imagine, any, any offense that takes place. You know, all we have to do is go down to the courthouse, file the paperwork, notary public, stamp, sign, and you're on your way. And we as a culture seem to think that that's not going to affect us in some way. But unlike in Jesus' day, there are many who see that the damage of divorce in our society. And so uh, the reason that if you were to look at statistics today that the divorce rate seems to appear to be dropping is that many people are opting for just living in a committed relationship without going through and making a covenant, a legally binding covenant with each other. They're choosing an easy way out by saying, I'm going to live with this person, I'm going to act as though I'm married, and, and pursue that committed relationship without actual commitment of the covenant. So, if the God of the Bible, what we have read so far today and, and all the passages we haven't read, is God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And if marriage is meant to represent God's covenant love and faithfulness to us, then what exactly did Jesus say here in Matthew 5? And how do we apply that today? So we're already familiar with the term adultery. We covered that a couple weeks ago. There's that physical act of marital unfaithfulness, and uh, with it, Jesus raises the bar to include the spiritual acts of adultery that can take place when we give in to lust and let our imaginations fuel unfaithful desires. But today, we're introduced to a new term that defines the certain limits of the practice of divorce, and that term is sexual immorality. In the original Greek, the word that's used here by Jesus in verse 32 is the word porneia. That's actually where we do get our English word for pornography from. But really that word has such a, a broader meaning than just a reference to sex-charged media. Pornea was a term that was used to describe sexual sin of a general kind. It was an umbrella term that would have included adultery in the context of marriage, but really pornea could also apply to someone who was single, who hadn't made a marriage covenant and wasn't in, you know, direct adultery, right? It has that sort of broad connotation to it. Now, even though Jesus gives us his interpretation of the Jewish practice of a certificate of divorce, and even though that seems to align his views with the school of Shammai, I would submit to you today 
that these two verses are less about giving a prescription for divorce and is actually more about correcting our hearts and our views about covenant. Jesus is giving us a warning, saying, look, if you end your marriage covenant for the wrong reasons, your actions will lead to the place of adultery. If you weren't in sin before, or sin wasn't the cause of this issue, then you are in sin in that place of divorcing for the wrong reasons. So you need to be careful. That's not to say that there aren't other legitimate reasons for seeking a divorce, like abuse or abandonment. But the focus of Matthew 5 is really that a continuation of that, that talk and that teaching about adultery and what that can do to the marriage covenant. So let me be clear as we talk about this topic here. If you are in a marriage where you are being abused by your spouse or your spouse has abandoned you and your family, you have as much of a justification to get out and get help as the people who have been wronged by adultery. And in the case of abuse or abandonment, friends, there should be at least some kind of a separation in order to give space for repentance to take place and reconciliation. But let's say, as is often the case, that the damage that's been done is truly too much to repair, you may divorce, and you would be justified in doing so. I believe the Bible calls us to hold firmly to this idea of marriage that's meant to represent God's covenant love and faithfulness to us while also acknowledging the very real problems that we face as people living in a broken world with broken people and the fact that in our lost state we are broken people as well who are being transformed from glory to glory but sometimes that process is slower than others and sometimes sin gets in the way and sometimes we face these problems and so how do we deal with it in the case of sexual immorality and adultery i would submit to you today that divorce is permitted but it doesn't have to be the only option the bible actually shows us another response that god modeled for us in the old testament in the writings of the prophets, there's a book called Hosea, and it's the writings of uh, this, uh, this man who was called by God, Hosea. He was called to marry a prostitute who God already told him she's going to be unfaithful, and she's going to even produce children by her other lovers. 
but the prophetic act that God called Hosea to perform before all the people in his community was to take her back and even at times go and pursue her with love and to seek her out and to rescue her from the trouble that she'd gotten in. Hosea was to show his wife Gomer that his love for her was always only faithful, just like God has for his people. That even when we are faithless and unfaithful to our God, even when we pursue intimacy with other things and with other gods that, that are outside of our covenant with him, that God will always have a deep, passionate love that is faithful to his covenant and transcends our failings. So when I read the words from Matthew 5, 31 through 32, I can't help but also think about this picture of Hosea choosing to show Gomer love, even though she didn't deserve it and she didn't earn it, and yet there it was for her. Hosea demonstrated the overwhelming, never giving up, always and forever love of our good God toward us in his grace. And that's why I believe that marriage is meant to represent God's covenant love and faithfulness to us because it's both meant to stand as a reminder that reveals God's character to us firsthand in our lives that we can experience and touch and tangibly interact with right it's also meant to be something that we actively participate in and honor with how we handle it you know before angie and i got married 12 years ago some of the advice that she had gotten at her bridal shower at our church at the time Neither of us remember who gave it, so don't ask. But Angie told me about it, and it's really stuck with me all these years, is that it used to be that when you had something that broke, you would go about trying to get it fixed. So, for example, if you had a clock that had a mechanical issue with it, you either go get the part and try to repair it yourself, or you'd go to a professional clock repair shop and say, I have this problem, I need it to get worked on. 12 years ago, she observed, and I think it's even true today, that when something breaks today, most people opt for throwing out the broken and just buying new. And her advice was that if you want your marriage to last, line up with this idea of fixing what's broken instead of just replacing it and so just like it can cost us a lot to repair a clock or a washing machine the cost is great in repairing a marriage in working on a marriage it takes time it takes effort sometimes it takes money uh, to not just to throw out the situation, but to use to, to, to garner resources so that you can uh, 
work on your marriage together. Because the difference between these illustrations, right, is that people are more precious and complicated than some piece of mechanics. And so, friends, I would, I would, I beg you, I encourage and I beg you that if you find yourself in a situation today where your marriage is in a hard place, maybe it's not as extreme as, as all the things that I had mentioned before, but maybe you're just, things are hard. Please get help. Reach out. Uh, I can, please reach out to me. I'd love to lend an ear and to listen to whatever issues that you might be going through and maybe try to help get you help that if things are uh, above my training, then maybe we can get you help in some other way. But please, for the sake of your marriage, get help. Do what you need to do to deal honorably with that marriage covenant. If you find yourself in a place where you have been divorced or y your family has, has had to deal with that before, there is a place in Scripture. Usually it's in the King James and, and uh, in the NASB version for sure. In Malachi 2.16, uh, the Bible explicitly says, God hates divorce. But a friend of mine who, who I talked to about this message ahead of time, uh, he gave me this encouragement that he had found when he had gone through a, a divorce in his life. He said, I found it really comforting to know that even though God hates divorce, God doesn't hate me. And so my encouragement for you today is that wherever you're at and how connected you are to this subject, God loves you. God is for you. God, you know, divorce is not, it doesn't disqualify you from being a child of God. And God wants to bring healing and his love and his mercy to your situation. So I just want to encourage you with that. As we close things out today, I want to return to First John chapter 4 and uh, finish out this little section on from uh, 7 through 11, but uh, I'll pick up in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us which I think is a great reminder about how marriage, that special union between husband and wife, 
was meant to represent God's covenant love and faithfulness to us, both personally and to the world. Let's pray.